Welcome to the Poetry of Reality podcast. If you're hearing this, it means that you're on the public feed. You get episodes a week late and you hear advertisements. You can get access to the subscribers feed by going to thepoetryofreality.com and becoming a supporter with immediate access to each episode and no ads. You can also support me by liking and subscribing on YouTube and sharing my podcast. Thank you so much for your support. I'm a huge fan of Ricky Gervais. He's a wonderful, spontaneous, irreverent comedian. Afterlife is deeply moving, tragic comedy, and Derek is wonderful exhibition of his talent as a writer as well as an actor. So I was delighted when the Center for Inquiry in America decided to give Ricky the Richard Dawkins Award for 2019. The ceremony took place in a London theatre. I made a speech, and then we had an onstage conversation which was chaired by Richard Wiseman. I thought it was a lovely occasion, and I hope you will enjoy it too when you listen to this recording. I'm sorry to say I hadn't seen any of Ricky's wonderful shows when I met him for the first time. It was backstage in a London theatre where the comedian Robin Ince had organised an alternative Christmas, a Christmas for atheists. I was one of the many performers, and Robin had lined up some really big names as well, including Ricky Gervais as one of the star turns. I was astounded by the audacity of his act. It reminded me of a New York Times review of Tom Lehrer, that wonderfully witty American songwriter and performer. The New York Times said, Mr. Lehrer's muse is not fettered by such inhibiting factors as taste. (laughs) Well, Ricky's act was like that, only more so. I found his script literally shocking, and I don't shock easily. Naturally, this drew me to him. How, I asked him, did you get away with it? He admitted that he was using the atheist audience as a test bed to try out ideas and see just how far he could go before subjecting a real audience to a more generally acceptable version. He was was pushing the envelope. I must rephrase that. He was using the atheist audience to reach way outside the envelope in order to calibrate where the bounds might be for an ordinary, dare I say, less interesting audience. (laughs) I next met Ricky when I interviewed him for one of my Channel 4 documentaries. We pretty much agreed about everything. Um, Some people think that makes for bad television. It's not exciting. The public want disagreement. Well, I've never thought that. Agreement can be interesting, as well as verbal fisticuffs. It doesn't have to be tame and bland. And I need hardly say there's nothing tame or bland about Ricky Gervais. His comedy frequently gives offence, not least in his splendidly irreverent takedowns of Hollywood celebs in his presentations of the Golden Globe and, and things like that. If there was a Golden Globe for seeing how far you can go and just getting away with it, Ricky would win hands down. And he's so witty and entertaining with it. More recently, I've binge-watched his various drama series, The Office, Derek, Extras, Afterlife. 
And what I've learned is that he's a truly great playwright and actor, as well as a stand-up comedian. The character of David Brent in The Office is so sensitively written, I found the embarrassment of it too near the bone, almost couldn't bear to go on watching, like, <laughs> like Faulty Towers, which I also admire. Perhaps my favourite of all his shows is Derek, where Ricky plays a supremely kind and gentle half-wit. It's a, <laughs> it's a piece of acting genius, but he also shows his writing genius. As for Afterlife, it almost had me in tears, it's so movingly clever. Ricky is not just a stand-up comedian, not just a great comic actor, he's an outstandingly creative writer as well. Like Woody Allen, except Ricky is capable of playing more than one character. <laughs> I'm going to end my acclamation of this witty hero of atheism and reason with a quite long series of quotations from him, because I think they're so wonderful. On life and death, it's a strange myth that atheists have nothing to live for, it's the opposite. We have nothing to die for. We have everything to live for. It's amazing, life. There's so much to live for. As for death, he said, that's the best thing about being dead. You don't know about it. It's like being stupid. It's only painful for others. <laughs> The doctrine of hell is one of the most evil things about both Christianity and Islam. At least it is to the extent that people really believe it. But as Ricky points out, a Christian telling an atheist they're going to hell is as scary as a child telling an adult they're not getting any presents from Santa. <laughs> Another wonderful Sally. Remember, if you don't sin, Jesus died for nothing. On morality and the absurd myth that you need religion to be good. Do unto others is a good rule of thumb. I live by that. Forgiveness is probably the greatest virtue there is. But that's exactly what it is, a virtue. Not just a Christian virtue. No one owns being good. I'm good. I just don't believe I'll be rewarded for it in heaven. My reward is here and now. It's knowing that I try to do the right thing. That I lived a good life. And that's where spirituality really lost its way, when it became a stick to beat people with. Do this or you'll burn in hell. You won't burn in hell, but be nice anyway. <laughs> and one of, the nice, one of the things that you'll notice about Ricky, if you follow him on Twitter, for example, is how nice he is. Yes, he can be cutting in his wit, and he can, of course, give offence, but he has a wonderful, gentle side as well, frequently to non-human animals, but to human animals as well. When asked once whether he believed in God, his reply was, I believe in dogs. <laughs> as for Twitter itself, I can strongly empathise with this. 
Arguing with morons on Twitter is like correcting graffiti on a public toilet wall that you'll never need to use again. <laughs> I've read that Ricky had an early ambition to be a scientist, and his attitude to science seems to me exactly right. Though of course, he wouldn't claim to be a scientist. To quote him, science seeks the truth, and it does not discriminate. For better or worse, it finds things out. Science is humble. It knows what it knows, and it knows what it doesn't know. It bases its conclusions and beliefs on hard evidence, evidence that is constantly updated and upgraded. It doesn't get offended when new facts come along. It embraces the body of knowledge. It doesn't hold on to medieval practices because they are tradition. And the following seems to me to show an admirably scientific attitude to theology. The existence of God is not subjective. He either exists or he doesn't. It's not a matter of opinion. You can have your own opinions, but you can't have your own facts. Ricky is immensely famous, of course, and he's very gracious about being stopped in the street and other aspects of fame. But being famous also prompted a typically witty remark on the subject of the widespread belief that only religious people are moral. Being famous is like believing in God. Someone's watching you all the time. <laughs> I've never quite known how to cope with the retort that it's only extremists who get a religion a bad name. Ricky's answer to that at least hits one nail on the head. You can easily spot any religion of peace. Its extremist members would be extremely peaceful. Literary scholars have sometimes pointed out how fine can be the line between tragedy and comedy. Some of the greatest comedians and comic characters have been close to tragedy. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Tony Hancock, Falstaff, Basil Fawlty. Ricky Gervais is one of the world's great comedians, but unlike some comedians, he's not himself a tragic figure. He's a happy man with an endearing smile, a laughing court jester in a dark time. He uses humor to lift us all out of despond. Other comedians may do that in an escapist way, making us laugh as a way of running away from the dark reality of life. Ricky doesn't do that. On the contrary, he goes right to the heart of the darkness, tackles the evils of life and the evil people by confronting them head on and laughing at them. As he himself said, if you can't joke about the most horrendous things in the world, what's the point of jokes? What's the point in having humor? Humor is to get us over terrible things. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, atheists and rationalists, I give you a great hero of our movement, our own wittily creative, infectiously laughing court jester, Ricky Gervais.
Fantastic. I can take that back from you, actually, Ricky. I get. Okay, you sit down, I think. I sit down. That's it. Good night. Now, Richard, did you if do If you'd that have been all in black, that would have looked yes. like a really amazing trick. I thought you'd do that with the power of your mind. That was amazing. Um, so we're going to chat about... Uh, about things, and I'm going to start off, pick you up on, on one of the, the, the topics you mentioned there, which is, I think, for many people in the public, atheists have this um, sort of reputation for, for being a little bit down in the world and a little bit pessimistic. Um, are you... I mean, we're living in quite a difficult time at the moment. Are, are you optimistic people? Are you optimistic about the future? Um, well, I, I don't know if I'm optimistic. I don't know. Um, I'm happy. I've always been happy. I've been. Ha- I, I have. I've always. I've always tried to get the most out of life. Uh, it was. Th- I, I worked out early on that that was the shortcut I wanted. I just wanted to be happy. Um, I did that first, and then decided how I was going to sort of make a living. Um, am I optimistic? I mean, I've got nothing to fear. Um, I, I, I look at this a bit like a holiday. We don't exist for 13 and a half billion years. Then we exist for 80, 90, 100 years, if we're lucky. And you experience everything. But it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing to be alive. The chances of us being here as us, that sperm hitting that egg, is 400 trillion to one. It's incredible that we're here, you know. And then we die never to exist again, you know? And um, some people even get offended by me saying that. <laughs> they, they, they say things like, um, um, uh, you don't know that. No, I'll, 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 I'll probably live again, I'll, you know. Some, someone said on Twitter once to me, why don't you pray just in case there's a God? <laughs> and I said, why don't you put garlic over your door just in case there's a Dracula? <laughs> uh, but I've got, I've got no problem with... With praying, you know, I'd, you know I'd, uh, it, it doesn't bother me. For, I've never been bothered by spirituality. I don't believe in it, but it's, I, I never, a personal belief has never been a, a danger. Um, as I say, religion is something else. and okay. Not even just religion, but dogma. Dogma the, is the dangerous bit, and it doesn't just reli- exist in religion. It exists uh, in more and more places now, that cultism, that, that which shouldn't be questioned. Anything that... You know, that's, that's what you want to question. If someone says you shouldn't question this, oh, you've got, you've got to question it. You've got to question it. <laughs> I, think, I, I was going to say, I love that, that um, thought experiment about the improbability of being here and, all, and the, the chance of one sperm meeting one egg. Yeah. And I love to quote a poem by Aldous Huxley. I think it's called Fifth Philosopher's Song. And it goes, A million million spermatozoa, all of them alive, out of their cataclysm, but one poor Noah dare hope to survive. Mm. And of that billion minus one might have chanced to be Shakespeare, another Newton, a new Dunn. But the one was me. <laughs> Shame to have ousted your betters thus, taking ark when the others remained outside. Better for all of us, fraud homunculus, if you'd quietly died. <laughs> That's great. But, I, I mean, I, I think realistically we probably have to be pessimistic, but that's no way to live a life. I think you've got to be optimistic, otherwise you, you, you're not going to have any chance of, of changing things to make them better. So let, I say I'm realistically a pessimist, but I, I live my life as an optimist. Okay. And like Ricky, I'm happy. 
Yeah, and I don't think it's... And I think, you, if I get it right, your question is geared to um, either are we, are we worried about not existing again or are we worried about how, where the world's going. Well, there's not a lot we can do about it either way. You know, it's not a choice. You know, are you going to die or live? Pro I'm, I'd probably... I'll just live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I probably wouldn't choose, or I would then regret it. I think the first million years, I'd really be kicking myself. I'd go... I'd, I'd, I'd... <laughs> oh, no, why did I choose infinity? <laughs> the... Oh, there's no I, way out. <laughs> I, I quite agree, absolutely agree with that. What's frightening about death is not death itself, it's infinity. It's, it's eternity. Yeah. So I want to spend eternity under a general anaesthetic. Yes. That's what's going to happen. That's exactly... Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, we, we don't know... We don't know, um, but um, I imagine it's like the 13 and a half billion years before we were born. Okay. And that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, before we started, I, I did put on Twitter a, uh, a call for questions. And, oh, and I'll God. be putting in some yeah, of these. Why uh, are you I'm... asking for it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the first question was to, to Richard, uh, actually, which is about um, Charles Darwin um, created the, the theory of evolution. Uh, how did animals change before that? No, that's not... That's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke, isn't it? That is... You, you made that up. I, I made that one up. I made that right, one up. Okay. No, that's not... <laughs> yeah, but listen, OK, you... Right. That is a joke, Thanks. but it's no more stupid than some real one, OK? <laughs> The, 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 the one that, um, obviously, everyone gets... And I used to be frivolous, and I used to do not... Now I just answer them seriously. Um, uh, if we evolved from apes, why are there still apes around? I used to say things like, well, if God made man from dust, why is there still dust around? And things like, you know... But now I say, well, we didn't evolve from modern apes. We evolved with modern apes from a common ancestor, rather like... And I just answer it deadly, deadly serious, like they... You know, uh, it doesn't help. Then <laughs> someone, someone followed it up with, well, I've been at the, going to the same zoo for 24 years and I haven't seen one monkey turn into a person. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think, even though that's incredibly stupid, we think, actually, it shows what the problem is when people try and understand it. They can't grasp the scale of it. They can't imagine these tiny changes. Mm. No-one can imagine 50 million years. So they do expect them to, the chimp to go, come on, lad, get on with it. <laughs> and that's because they also give it a will. They think... They think even non-religious people are trying to understand... They try and think that the, the giraffe was really stretching his neck, you know? <laughs> That's the problem. There's lots of little logical problems that hasn't been explained properly. But actually, it's, if I can understand it, anyone can, you know. And, Richard, you must have been asked many stupid questions over the years. Is, is there a standout stupid question for you? Yes, well, the, the one that Ricky just mentioned, but there's also, why don't we ever see a crocodile? They sort of imagine that... <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I think that's a great question. I would love that. Question. I would love a crocodile. I've, I've actually got a crocodile tie that somebody gave me. Um, Wait, hold on a sec. What image have you got in mind for a crocodile? A, a, a crocodile would be a, a crocodile that would be angry, but he's fucked because he's just got a bill. Right, yes, that's, right. that, that's like my tie. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> 
Why is there not the, the, the implication of that is that there should be an intermediate between every animal and every other animal? I think there should be, though. <laughs> you can get a crocodile. Well, look, they, they, they can't see that it's nearly an analogue thing as well. And, and, and uh, I think you've spoken about this before, your, your amazing model about if you took a picture of your dad and your grandparents oh, and yeah. their dad, you'd, at any one point, you'd go, they look alike. But at some point, is a fish. You know? <laughs> Eventually, there's a fish. I didn't see that coming. Well, you did. You see, you know, it, it's, they, again, it's the, it's the scale. The scale is, is unimaginable. It, it's lucky that it did happen, because we couldn't imagine it. If it wasn't fact, we couldn't make that up. Because it's incredible. It's incredible. It's perfectly true, but whenever I've done that, it, it always gets a gasp of astonishment. Why? I mean, everybody knows we're descended from fish, don't, don't they? So yeah. Um, the way I put it is, um, if you could meet your 200 million greats-grandfather, you would eat him with a slice of lemon and tartar sauce. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I spe- <laughs> it, is, it is the scale, though, isn't it? And... Um, is it true we're closer, and I, don't, I, know, I know closer is a, a non-scientific term, but I, I, I like these facts as well that go around, that we're, evolutionally speaking, I think they mean in time, we're closer to a salmon than a salmon is to a shark. Yes. Because the elasma brank to the that, That's a perfectly respectable thing to say, by yeah, the way. There's yeah. nothing, nothing wrong with that. All it means is that we're closer cousins. That means to say that the common ancestor that we share with salmon lived a lot more recently than the common ancestor that salmon plus yeah, us sure. lived, um, shares yeah. with sharks. Yeah. So is, is a crocoduck possible? <laughs> <laughs> oh. OK, listen, let me, I'll, t- I'll take this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a psychologist, so I mean... I can answer this one. <laughs> is, is that a possibility in a parallel universe? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I did a podcast with Lawrence Krauss and he was definitely saying things like that to just wind me up. <laughs> just when I started understanding it, he'd throw in something else. I'd go, oh, well, why are you doing that? Well, so- it is true that when duckbill platypuses were first hmm. sent back to the museum here, nobody believed they were real. They, it's, they thought it was a hoax. They thought that somebody had taken a, a duck's bill and sewn yeah. it onto um, some other kind of, kind of creature. So I suppose that's the nearest approach to a crocodile. And that is real. That is but, but actually, it's the... because it's an early monotreme that it produces eggs and milk, it could make its own custard. Yeah. But it... <laughs> it doesn't, but it, it definitely could. could. Well, it could ju- I use nice that instant one. stuff, so it could use that as well. If you get a whisk, yes. it will be fine. Yes. It is amazing. I mean, some Australian mammals. It's cause, uh, is it true that... It floated away, and there weren't predators as such. So, and oh, every... there were predators actually, but they didn't. They well, didn't... They've, they've mostly gone extinct. Um, there was a giant predatory carnivorous kangaroo, for example, which must have been quite terrifying. Oh my! Bounding God. after you with its jaws agape. Yeah. Oh, that, that, I, we we should bring them back. Can I, we? Um... I think so. Yes. Can we now? Now uh, you, you started it, but not turned into an idiot on Twitter. No. Can we bring back the mammoth? You know? Can we? Yeah. We can. No, we I think could. we can, you can we? can't you? Well, no. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. No. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be the greatest thing ever? It'd be amazing. Can, can we? Can we bring back the mammoth? Uh, there is a serious possibility. Um, the genome of the mammoth is being pretty much worked out, uh, and. Um, 
the technology to actually bring it back is, isn't there yet. We've got the genome, and so it doesn't seem totally impossible that you could... Now, what does that mean? Do you mean you've synthesised something or you've put together bits of DNA or the DNA exists and you've, you've found it in the elephant and modified it? What does it mean we've got the... We've got the do well, you mean you've got the thing that would make a mammoth if it was... Well, because frozen mammoths uh, died sufficiently recently and they're frozen in, in the Arctic so that there's plenty of tissue there, you can get plenty of DNA. Um, there's a lovely Hilaire Belloc poem about the frozen mammoth, which ends up... Um, I can't remember how it, how it goes, but if, if the skin... Be, you, it, 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 it will make an excellent soup, but... The snag is, if the skin be but punctured before it is boiled, your confection is wholly and utterly spoiled. And hence, on account of the size of the beast, the dainty is nearly unknown. But anyway, there it is. It's a, it's... If you don't know the answer, Richard, just say yeah, so. Just... <laughs> right, you asked for this. It's... Um, it... Okay. So how? No, so no, how, you, no, you, you, how would we bring it back? How could? How, okay. What is the process? Okay. What would we do? The process is that you use the, you use the soft tissues of this frozen mammoth right. to sequence the DNA, and that's pretty much been done. With a little bit of filling in with with elephant DNA as well. Now, what we don't yet have the ability to do is to implant that DNA into an elephant egg, right? And then put the elephant egg into a put the elephant egg with mammoth DNA into a female elephant and then grow the embryo. So it'd be, that... it would be a hybrid at, the, at most? It would no, be... no, no, no. How, would would... how could you see? Oh, so you'd clone. Oh, you'd clone the yeah. mammoth and just yes. use that as a you, 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 I see. you remember Dolly the sheep? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it'd be, it would be that kind of thing. So Dolly had a, it was a sheep egg and into that sheep egg was, in, was put the DNA of another sheep. Right. And, so, and, and then it was, then it was but... cloned. If a mammoth baby come out, wouldn't that surprise the elephant? <laughs> no doubt. Yes, no doubt. Like, um, a, lot, a lot of people have hairy babies. <laughs> tusks and everything. Like. Yeah. Well, elephants have got tusks. That's true, actually. It's just, it's just hairier than this. Yes. Yeah. If, if you could clone a mammoth, would, would you do it? Not clone, I mean, would you... Would you would I would, but there are many who wouldn't. There are many who think it would be unethical somehow to do this. They think... Um, it would be um, cruel. Um, Why would it be cruel? Because it wouldn't ever be in its natural habitat. Well, it wouldn't understand if, if, modern if it technology. Just, if it was just on its own. I mean, if, if you made lots of them, and there's, some people think that we should actually clone lots of them and let them loose on the, on the Siberian tundra to, to um, you know, bring back the ecology that's, that, that's disappeared. I, I'd, I'd bring back Tyrannosaurus rex. I'd let it loose in parts of England, to be honest. But... <laughs> <laughs> So atheism, yeah. uh, it's, so I, I can remember, and I, I don't know whether this has any resonance for you at all, but I can remember listening to you on the radio, and I can't place this, I know it's a long time ago, and I would think it's after the initial success of The Office, I think, and I think it's Steve Wright, but I might be wrong, and he said something like, um, oh, you must wake up in the morning and say, thank God for my amazing things that are happening. And you said, why would I say, thank God, I'm an atheist? Right. And it was the first time I'd heard the word atheist on kind of public radio. Well, I mean, yeah, there shouldn't even be the word, should there? If people didn't invent gods, I wouldn't have to deny them. And it's just... 
but it's like, I, uh, I was told when I sort of started breaking America to not mention I was an atheist. Really? Oh, first thing I did. I never... <laughs> first thing I did. Why, what, what am I going to lose? Imagine, imagine not doing something because people hate you because of what you are. That's, that's you know, um, that's my only thing I've got. I'm a white, rich, middle-class man, but I'm, at least I'm hated for being an atheist. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, have you I'm seen... oppressed. <laughs> I'm oppressed in 13 countries I'd never go to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen a, a change in your... Uh, over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, about how uh, atheism is, is perceived? Well, I mean, uh, you, you sort of do it... I, I, there's part of me that does it because I think I should that there is someone being persecuted now that might, you know... Um, I, I, can't, I can't change the world, but what I mean, maybe someone in a, in a Western world that, that thinks they shouldn't come out because it's a bad thing. Because it's still a bad thing in Western society. Um, in America, they took a vote... Uh, uh, America, right? The, that, probably that big bit in the middle of America. But um, we were voted least trustworthy group, joint bottom with rapists. <laughs> So there's still a thing about, I better not say I'm an atheist, it'll annoy my mum or dad or granddad or school. There's still that. So you do that. Some of it I do it as an intellectual pursuit because someone asked me a question, I'd rather give the right answer than the wrong answer. I'd rather tell the truth than lie because it's easier, you know. I think the big thing, people think I run into churches and go, it's all fucking bollocks. <laughs> I, do, I, I, I don't, I don't care. You know, I don't... I, um, but if I'm asked, if I believe in God, I'll say no. I mean, you know, the tricky one is... Um, um, I, I did a film called The Invention of Lying where I did a scene where my... Thank you. Seven people saw that film. Um, <laughs> um, where my mother in that is dying and it's... Uh, because I'm the only person in the society who can lie, she says, I, I don't want to go to nothingness. And I, I go, there's not nothingness. It's a beautiful place you go and you're young again. And I invent heaven. Right? And that comes from the fact that when my mum was dying, I did face a dilemma. If she'd have said, do you think there's a God? That's, that's a personal thing, and that's a, you know... Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I, I, um, I, I, try, I just try and be honest, really. Um, and the other thing is, if, a, if someone else's kid, five-year-old, asks me, do I believe in God? I sort of think, what should I say here? And I say, well, I don't, but a lot of people do. What do you think? You know, I try and... I, there's still a, a level of diplomacy. It's not, it's not always my place. You, don't, you know what I mean? Mm. I do, uh, um, but, uh, you know, my house, my rules, if someone asks me something on Twitter, I tell them the truth. It's, you know... And, and, and Richard, in, in the last sort of 20, 30 years, have you seen a, a change in how atheism is, is perceived? I'm not a sociologist. I haven't done the research. I'm not a psychologist, so... I'm not sure it would only be a subjective impression. Um, the statistics suggest that we're growing in numbers. Mm. Um, it, obviously in Western Europe, um, but also even in America, I think the number of people who claim no religion in the United States is now more than 20%, which is large compared to any particular religious denomination. So I think that the, the statistics show that the trend is in the right direction. But as Ricky says, other polls show that we're da down there with rapists in, in terms of public... I think they have to lump us in with, um, you know, 
agnostics, which, I, I, again, I keep trying to explain that on Twitter, that they're not mutually exclusive. You know, one deals with knowledge, one deals with belief. And so, um, you know, and, and people say on Twitter to me, they say, it's illogical to be an atheist, you should be agnostic. And I say, well, I am, I am as well. Um, you know. I, don't agnostics get on your nerves a bit? Well, um, um, no, because we, we're all agnostic, aren't we? We're all yeah, agnostic no. by definition. If, if we accept that no-one knows knowledge... You know, I'm being very diplomatic here. But if we accept that no-one knows that there's a God or not, right, we might be wrong. We're 99% sure. No. Um, uh, but let's say we, we don't know. We're all agnostic. So take it out of the... It doesn't matter. Now we ask about belief. What do you believe? What's your best bet? But when someone says they're agnostic, isn't it sort of tempting to go, why don't you just think about it a bit more then? Because it... Well, I just think that there's a, there's a... Yes, but there's a category mistake. I, some people do do it because they don't want to say yeah. they believe in God. You know, but if, you, you shouldn't ask an agnostic if there's a God or not. You should ask them, do you believe there's a God or not? Because then they can't say, I don't know, because that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? You don't know whether you believe or not. Right? You know, so... Well, that's so, right. Yeah. I, I think the... The, the really sick-making thing is people who think because, because they're agnostic and we, and we can't know for, for sure, therefore the likelihood is 50-50. Mm. Yeah. Very different. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic, but I, think, but I believe that the likelihood is about 1% or less. Um, mm. that it's that, that, not really that, agnostic, is it? Yes, it is. Yes, if, if we accept that we don't know, if it's a default, we don't know, no-one's come back from heaven, no-one's proved it, you can't prove the non-existence of something, and why would you? If the periodic table of non-existent things is infinite, you know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> um, so if we accept that, that's, that's a knowledge, that's a category of knowledge. But if you just say, what do you believe? You, yeah, you have to step up to the plate. You have to say what you believe. And if you don't believe in any god... Right, you're an atheist. That's the other misconception. People think that atheism is denying the existence of God, right? It's not. It's just not accepting the claim that there is a God, yeah. you know. Uh, but if there were three doors, which says God exists, God doesn't exist, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. There's three doors. It says God <laughs> exists, but doesn't exist, I don't know. But you not knowing is irrelevant to where there is or isn't a God. You, again, you've done a sleight of hand there on a category mistake. Because one is knowledge and two are beliefs, right? What, I haven't even finished one my question. Actual, no, what? No, no, there's always... <laughs> I'm saying three is always there. If you had to choose one... Yeah. It's... it's um, I, be, I believe there's a God. I don't believe there's a God. I don't know is irrelevant then, isn't it? <laughs> Crocoducks. <laughs> when... Uh, so moving on to my uh, Twitter, Twitter questions. Um, you, you spoke about lying there. Uh, what's the, the biggest lie you've told to impress somebody? Is that a, a question that's been submitted? For, uh, on Twitter. The biggest lie you've told to impress somebody. It's quite a tricky question, actually. Oh, the biggest lie I've told to impress someone? Yeah. I honestly can't think of one. Yeah. Richard, is anything...? Not only can I not think of one, I'm quite confident there's never been one. <laughs> You've never told a lie to impress anyone? I've, I've told a lie to not hurt people's feelings. Yeah, that's different, yes. I suppose that's impressing them because I, I want them to like me by not saying... So, yeah. uh, in my example, so, can you come to my party? I say, no, I can't, I'm 
giving blood at the orphanage or something. <laughs> no, because I don't want to say, of course I'm not coming to your party. I hate you and all your friends. It would be a waste. <laughs> so uh, m- my lies are usually because I haven't got the nerve to be honest when it's yeah. hurting someone's white, feelings. They're all white lies. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but I don't think I've lied to, like, on a CV or something. I, oh, I, I didn't write the question. So I don't, <laughs> don't, don't turn it back on me. <laughs> it could be anything you want. Yeah. Um, Richard, there are three doors. I believe yeah. in God. I don't... Um, I suppose that works if you say which answer sums you up most. That's allowed, I think. Well, with the three doors? Yeah. There is no God. There is a God I don't know. I'd go for there is no God, because I'd, I'd, I'd identify with choosing that door. But there's still a category mistake, because one deals with knowledge and one deals with belief, so... <laughs> uh, now, the category mistake, you have a background in philosophy, of course. Your first degree is in philosophy. Is that My right? My only degree. Oh, God. <laughs> your last degree. Yeah, you, you made it sound really good. I, was, I, I, I could have just nodded. <laughs> yes, that I was my first degree. I thought you'd just to impress. Exactly, yeah. yeah. In fact, my first degree was biology, which I did for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> And then swapped to philosophy. There were nine o'clock lectures. It was 40 hours a week. I suddenly got to university and thought, I haven't come here to learn. I've come here to join a band. Do you know what I mean? And so... So that's a category error. So philosophy was... um, uh, Yeah, I did philosophy. Yeah, I got a degree in philosophy. um, UCL. Have you ever found that useful? Well, only that everything is, is... useful that you learn any sort of dig- well that's not true is it really um, uh, I, I suppose um, uh, critical thinking is is useful but I think I already had it or I wouldn't have mm. done science and philosophy so I don't know that it's useful other than it's nice to know stuff it's fun I mean I, I tick it as one of the best things about being alive learning stuff I want to know everything I'm still in awe of the world Honestly, I wish this wasn't about me because I'd be quizzing him. He'd, he'd get fed up. He'd go, for fuck, shut up. I'd be asking him questions all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if we turn to your, your, your work for that, and in fact, actually, this is a question to both of you. I think what's interesting is that your, your work is incredibly innovative. So, so if you take Selfish Gene or you take The God Delusion, it's, it's, a very, it's a very innovative work, and The God Delusion in particular, I mean, it came out of a time when atheism wasn't a popular thing to be writing about and, and you went for it. The Office, I mean, just phenomenal in, in particular, I mean, all of your work, but The Office, we just sort of focus on that. I, where do those ideas come from? What, what, what's the process behind innovation in that Well, sense? it's very different because Richard's dealing in... What's true about the universe, and I'm making stuff up. So, so I, I'm I I wouldn't put myself alongside scientists. Um, um, but for me, it's uh, uh, as I get older, all I want to be in art, in comedy, or whatever, is just more honest and look deeper. That's all I want to do now. That's all I try and do. Am I being? Um, is this? Is, is it, first of all, has it been done before? Mm. That's what you. You don't want to do. You want to keep going, you know, this is new. Um, but um, I do want to... Uh, I, I'm, I am fascinated with honesty and bravery. Uh, and, even and, in something and... as lowly as comedy. I think, is that, is, that, is that the best thing to... And not without consequence. I, I think people think that 
Um, sometimes uh, you're just trying to offend for the sake of it. That's too easy. That is too easy. And I always when people say, um, oh, yeah, any, anyone can just be offensive. And I go, go on then. Set out an arena and be, just be offensive. See, oh, you know what I mean? It's a ridiculous thing to say. So that's never the aim. Um, uh, but I'm, I am aware that some people will find everything I do offensive because everyone's different. But that's no reason why you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't say it, you know? That's, that's the good thing about freedom of speech. You have the right to piss off lots of people at once. Is, is that your thoughts as well? Well, I think that the... Um, to, to say that offends me as though that was somehow an argument... Yeah. ..is, is what's really pernicious. And um, uh, I think Stephen Fry said, um, you're offended, well, so fucking what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And... Um, Christopher Hitchens said slightly more moderately, you're offended? I'm still waiting to hear your argument. Hmm. But that's what it is. That's what often people have found out now. It's sort of tit for tat, right? Um, and uh, some, some of it was a rebellion against the first wave of political correctness where they said, well, if you can't do that, I'm offended by that. Now what? You know, and it was, it was... But it's another form of dogma. It's another form of shutting you down, um, putting the, uh, the, the, the suffix um, phobia on the end of something. So that means you can't discuss it anymore. And uh, you've got to be very careful about that. But particularly in comedy, most offence is taken when people mistake the subject of a joke with the target. They think that subject is a terrible, contentious, terrible thing to laugh about. Well, no, we look at the joke, though, you know, and they don't. They go, no, you shouldn't joke about so-and-so. I've been asked by journalists, is there anything you won't joke about? And I say, is there anything you won't write about? Because straight away they assume a joke is making fun of the terrible situation or the, the victim or the... And, 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 and I don't do that. I actually don't do that. And it's fine if you do. I think humour is exempt from those things. But I still don't. I still have a conscience when I... And I try and make my jokes bulletproof. Now, of course, you've got to make them bulletproof for ten years' time, which is a... which is a problem. <laughs> and is it a question of, of the audience perceiving where it's coming from, in, in a sense that... You know, if you were racist and you do racist material, clearly that's a very ugly thing. Yeah. So I, no, I think that, just the joke I think it's worth I, I think from. the actual, what I mean is, I think people, you can do a joke about race mm. without being racist. And I think that's, I think people think you mustn't joke about race because they assume it might be right. They haven't looked at it. And uh, some people just, they just, it just scares people a little bit. And some people are offended on other people's behalves. You see people in the audience looking around thinking, can I laugh at that? Maybe I shouldn't. And you go, well, why? And I, I, that's why I deal in taboo subjects, because I want to say, well, you can laugh at this. Look, here's an example of something you can laugh at. Um, and I give them examples. And I, I almost... Um, uh, I defy them not to laugh. Because okay. um, uh, it's OK to laugh at bad things. It is OK to laugh at bad things. But, but you're not setting out to offend. I'm not setting out to offend, and I think the targets of my joke are valid. I can defend every joke I've ever made. Um, uh, I, I could even argue that every joke I've ever made is politically correct. But um, that, that's, another, that's another matter. But, um, yeah. OK. Not that that matters, because there's a difference between being correct and being politically correct, and, and it's been mugged and changed, and now it's... Um, a different beast than it was, you know. Uh, 
But no, I think you're allowed to joke about anything. It's, it's what the joke actually is. And, and sticking with your, your work for the moment, if there was a weird parallel universe where you could only have written one book or only made one television series or, or film, which one would you be most happy with? I would be most happy with The Extended Phenotype. Oh, surprising. Which is, which is the one book I've written for a professional audience, although I hope other people can read it as well. How interesting. So I, I thought you would, you would go with Selfish Gene or God Delusion, but... Oh. You've written those as well, just I, to remind I, you. I, just to... I'm actually... <laughs> I admit, pretty pleased with all my books, yes. I must admit. Um, but um, uh, I, I think the, 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 the one... I, I think perhaps the, the one where I made the most original contribution is the, is the extended phenotype. Okay. Um, I was quite agreeably surprised when you said you thought the God Delusion was, you know, innovative. I'm not sure it's innovative. Sorry, Paul Robeson singing to me. I've got to stop. <laughs> it's my alarm clock <laughs> reminding me to take my pills. <laughs> do you... I love Paul Robeson. <laughs> do, do you need to take your pills? Because we can no, chat no, on if... Fine, uh, no, okay, it's fine. This is going to get good. <laughs> Um, I, th I think the, the God Delusion was enormously... I mean, no-one was doing books about atheism well, at that time, as far as I can remember. No, that... Well, it's not quite true, actually. Sam Harris was. Um, but, um... Uh, and I think... But, but, I mean, there's really nothing in any of our books that, that's not foreshadowed in, say, Bertrand Russell. Mm. Um, that's amazing. The, uh, why I'm Not a Christian and so on. Um... But then you mentioned the selfish gene. I think that, that is more in innovative, actually. And I think the extended phenotype is more so. OK. Ricky? I'd probably go with the Old Testament. <laughs> Just because of how popular it was and how well it sold. Um, you did phenomenally well with that. I'd be... Just think how rich... I mean, I'd, could I do better marketing and I'd do better deals... Yeah. ..than those goat herders did? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a top US agent, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I heard a, um, I was listening to a Woody Allen routine, uh, which is the vodka uh, routine, and he said, oh, he said, my rabbi's terrible, my rabbi's terrible. <laughs> uh, he, um, he's giving a sermon, he, he forgot the Ten Commandments and listed the seven dwarfs. That <laughs> <laughs> was a great joke. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um, so, so uh, if, if, if I w didn't allow you to agree that, that your work was with oh. the Old Testament, if, if you weren't allowed to, um, to go, which of your, your TV series or films would you go with? Um, uh, well, I mean, The Office brings to mind, again, because it was the, the first thing I'd try my hardest at, and, you know, um, so, yeah. Um, Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the US office? I choose. <laughs> Did, Did you know from the, the, the get go with the office? you'd got something very special there. Um, yeah, I thought it was special. I thought it was different. I, I sort of came to it with a big list of sort of don'ts more than do's because, you know, you, I, I, it was very late in life. Um, uh, I'd worked in an office for 10 years and I think I was like 38, 39, so I knew 
this was a, a you know, a, a, a sort of second bite at the cherry. So I knew it had to be special, and I was happy with that. I could walk away knowing that I'd have done something. And but is it true that when it was exported to America, they got a different cast and... and... Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, we sold the rights for them to do it. But why didn't they just take your version? Because there was only 12, and I was too lazy to do any more. Um, okay. And there's a thing over there they want that's syndication, so they want 100 episodes or something, and then the, the money is exponential because it gets shown in rotation. Okay. And, you, you know, so, and they did 300-and-something episodes. But, so, but were your episodes shown as well? Yeah, but um, uh, it was on BBC America, and I think it was the, it was the highest-rated show on the channel, and it got like a million and a half. So the US office was getting 10 million a week and the Super Bowl episode got 25 million. Yes. So it's a, it's a different beast. It's just a, each episode, we made ours for about 120 grand. By the end, that, theirs were 3 million an episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just, but, a, but... it's not even, it's not even to be compared. I, I look at it like I sold my DNA, but it's not my, yeah. it's not my kid. I mean, I was rather shocked to discover that one of David Attenborough's really major series was redone with an American voice, with Oprah Winfrey instead of David Attenborough. And I thought that's utter heresy. I mean, I, I just... But presumably... <laughs> she just literally overdubbed the footage. She didn't go and remake it all with different... No, I, different I, I think that's... Steve Carell as a spider. Yeah, no, they just started again, just because Americans want things... By Americans, for Americans. Ours wouldn't have been big in the big middle bit, you know. It's, it was, and it was different. It was different. They did make it differently. It was more um, optimistic. It wasn't mine artistically, but um, uh, it, it, honestly, it... It was much more lucrative for me than my version, you know. So but, someone, but... On, someone on Twitter once sent me, um, the US version of The Office is better than yours. How does that make you feel? And I sent back, fucking rich. <laughs> <laughs> but that happens with TV, obviously. Americans buy ideas and remake it. It doesn't happen with books. I mean, if, someone, if an American publisher we love God Delusion, but we're going to get Sam Harris to do it, that, that wouldn't no, really... That's true, but what they do is change the title. Right. It's extremely irritating. Um, I've, I've actually... It was called Mega Jeans. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, actually, I've actually bought the same book twice, because I didn't realise it was the same book. <laughs> <laughs> and on one occasion, I saw... It, you, you know on Amazon it says, if you like so-and-so, you'll probably like so-and-so. Mm. Same book, if you really? like... Really? <laughs> That's, that's great. That's a fantastic algorithm, because it's correct, brilliant. isn't it, if you like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. So what, did they change your titles? Did they... I've never allowed it, but many of my colleagues have had the titles changed. Right. Uh, and um, I find it unnecessary and um, really damn nuisance. It, it, Matt Ridley says it's because the publishers like to feel important. It's the only thing they can do. And, and so I assumed it was marketing, like they wouldn't get that title or certain... Yeah, they call, that, it, well, they, they call it, it marketing. Yeah, mm. they call it marketing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in the, we were chatting beforehand, um, I was checking for some friends, and, and one of the, the questions came up about comedy. 
and the fact that we couldn't think of many, if any, comedians who were religious. Uh, I'm not asking for example, I'm just saying, is, is, do we think it's a thing that most stand-ups tend to be agnostic or atheist or...? I think so. I think that's because a lot of comedians um, uh, are critical thinkers. I think a lot of them are science-based. Um, uh, well, they're intelligent. Well, I don't want to... Well, yeah, but... Yeah. But then, you know, a lot of, a lot of religious people are intelligent, but they've been, they've been got at an early age, and it's like... Um, uh, yeah. I think they're braver. Some people, there's still a thing of not saying I'm an atheist because people think that it's a bad thing to be. Mm. You know, parents still christen their kids and send them to school because they think it's a respectable thing to do. You know, I, um, and, and I, uh, that, that's sad, but, uh, but I get it. Um, there's a couple, though. There's a couple. They don't put it in their act, I don't think. Um, uh, uh, Tim Vine is very yeah, Tim, devout Christian. Yes, yeah, true. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, but in, in general, it, it, they, they tend to be, I think, more sceptical or... or... I, I think that's because they, are, they look at things from all angles and they come up with funny ideas. And I, I, um, uh, and I, I try... I, I look at the idea and I think that's, that's what's wrong and that's what dogma does, is that people try and give ideas human rights so you leave them alone. And... You, 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 you don't have to. You can ridicule ideas without hurting anyone. And some people say... That deserves a round of applause. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and, they, and they found it shuts some people up. If they say, that's hurt, you know, um, you can be accused of racism or anything if you, if you cri criticise an idea. And it's people jumping in the way of a bullet and saying, why are you shooting at me? And it comes back to Richard's point that um, I'm offended. That's not an argument. Mm. It's not an argument. It's like me being offended if someone takes the mickey out of maths. Uh, it's like... <laughs> go, go on. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you, can, you can laugh at maths. It doesn't, it doesn't affect maths. It doesn't affect maths. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I, I'd like asking this of, of all performers. When you, you've done a lot of live work, when you go on stage or before you go on stage, do you have any superstitious rituals that you carry out? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Really? No, I'm not superstitious, am I? <laughs> Is this a trick? No. So if I said yes, I'd go down a vault. <laughs> <laughs> then look at this footage and deny it. No, no, um, no um, really. No, I have. I, I probably have loads of um, uh, sort of neuroses and OCDs and things like that, but nothing based on superstition. It's um, uh, worrying that uh, are the audience in? Is what, what's the air conditioning like? Is it like someone going? Is there a squeaky door? It was no ice in the drink. Someone's putting off. There's someone. You know, um, okay. I have all those things, but I have no superstitions. No. What, do, did you mean superstitions, or do you mean... Yeah, I mean, some performers touch wood or wear certain socks or no, nothing. Well, I wear the same clothes because I can't be bothered to think about what else to wear, but... <laughs> no, I don't do touch wood. OK. Um, no, I don't touch wood, no. <laughs> I'd no. ask. No, I don't, no. <laughs> I just... I burn some incense, say a couple of prayers... Um, <laughs> That's it, really. <laughs> and, and in terms of changing minds, 
uh, in terms of getting people to be more sceptical or rational or scientific. Both of you enormously influential, but with, with two different ways. Obviously, you're using comedy a lot of the time, and you're depending more on factual arguments. How, do, how does that play out? Is, is that playing to the same audiences? Do you think it's equally persuasive? What, what well, I think Rich is more driven in his, you know, thing than I am. But um, what, what do you think about changing minds? What do you think... I'm known to be not very good at it. Um, I, I tend to just, as you were saying earlier, Ricky, just, I, I tend to just tell the truth. And uh, that isn't always the right way to go about it. Marketing wouldn't approve, I suspect, of, of just simply going out and, and telling the truth. I had a rather nice encounter with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, um, who said something like, um, you just put it out there. You don't, there's, there, there's no act of persuasion, there's no act of seduction going on. You just, you just simply say, here are the facts, take it or leave it. Um, and I had to say, uh, I, well, I said, I gratefully accept the rebuke. Uh, but I then went on to say, I'm not the worst of, of that. And I quoted um, Alan Anderson, who was then the editor of New Scientist, um, who, who said, I asked him what your policy is at New Scientist, and he said, our policy at New Scientist is science is interesting, and if you don't agree, you can fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's exactly, yeah. Yeah, I don't... I don't I, I, in, in the greater scheme of things, there, there are probably worse things than people believing in all the different gods. Um, uh, it, it doesn't affect me because I'm, I'm free and liberated and, and safe. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, um, you can still be annoyed. It's ignorance that annoys me more than anything. Whatever it is, it's not... I don't want to keep going after religion because that's only one form of this belligerent, willful... And, and it's not even that. It's you, you can't sort of help what you believe in. Most people aren't going around thinking, this will annoy people, or I'm trying to oppress people's rights. They just think, I believe in God, because that's how, that's how my brain worked when I was little, and now I, I think, yeah, there's probably a God. And most religious people aren't crazy. It's something else. Again, it's something, you know... Um, uh, and... Uh, uh, we, we worry about the people who believe the bad bits in their holy book as well as the good bits. Most nice people who believe in God, they can tell the difference. They, do, they know the nice They cherry-pick and they know the nice bits from the bad bits. They don't do the bad bits. And my point is, if you know the bad bits from the good bits, you don't need the holy book. You know, you're already a moral person. And with afterlife, which I think is, is phenomenal... Thank you. Um, the... <laughs> Clearly, obviously, you talk about atheism in, in, in there, but, it, but it's fundamentally about kindness and, and living a good life, I, I think. I think it is. I think the question is, um, when, you, when you lose the best thing about life... Is it still worth living? That's, that, that's what the question starts with. It started with a high concept, really. Imagine you lost everything. You wouldn't care about anything. You could do what you wanted. So that was the comedic, where dramatic... Did that, where did that thought come from? I don't know. I don't know. I think it might have been um, sort of two years of um, uh, 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 this thing that you've that you got to watch what you say. 
Mm. Like it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't to say the right thing. It was to say the thing that was least offensive to most people, which is nonsense. We'd still be in the Middle Ages. We'd still be putting leeches down our pants. You know, every, every scientist committed heresy at some point. Every great invention, every move forward in progress was going against some sort of crazy dogma at some point. And, um, and, uh, and it wasn't that there was more crazy, mad, nasty people around. It was that they weren't ashamed of it anymore <laughs> in the last few years, you know? Um, in my day, racists were ashamed, right? <laughs> now they're not. <laughs> so, um, and, the, the, and the backlash was um, people saying, oh, you can't say anything. And I just thought, well, imagine if you could. You just could. You didn't care about the consequences. You wouldn't, didn't care about offending anyone. Because we do. We, we, even myself and Richard, who want to tell the truth... Um, we do things we don't want to do all the time because we're worried about it. If we're mugged, we hand over the cash because we don't want to get hurt, right? But imagine if you didn't care about living or dying. That happens in uh, afterlife. You think, bring it on. I'm not scared anymore. So that was the idea. Yeah. If you weren't scared about consequences, if you weren't scared about politeness, if you, weren't, you had nothing to lose. And that was the seed of the idea, really. But then, of course, it, it becomes about... Kindness. It, be, it becomes about overcoming it becomes about that. People feeling. trying to save you, the, the comfort of strangers and the people who care, and um, and that's the thing about like um, uh, grieving and depression. The thing that came out of Afterlife that, that shocked me. Um, I've never had a reaction like it. Even the office, I've never had a reaction like it because it was an emotional reaction. And I found out that people come up to me all the time, and they say, "Oh, I lost my mother. Or I lost my husband." Or, and you think, oh, yeah, of course, everyone's grieving. Everyone's grieving this year about something. And um, the older they get, the more that happens. And, and uh, that was never an intention, but I, I think it... I think people hadn't seen, certainly a comedy, but they hadn't seen something that dealt with grief. That man who was just... He wanted to die. Uh, and then I had to make it funny. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> But, yeah. but, but also this character is dealing with grief not from a religious point of view at all. Well, I, I wanted that. I wanted a, a bit of a play on words with afterlife, like he thought his life was over and he doesn't, believe, he doesn't even believe in an afterlife. He hasn't even got that comfort. So what's the point? And, um, and uh, I went down a sort of a nihilist road and I, I wanted to bring him out to say, well, there's still a point. We've still, you've still got a few years to enjoy everything else. That's the, that was the sort of philosophical question. Um, so to answer your original question, I think I am quite positive and I think I am um, quite optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. I think it would be all right, you know? I think it would be all right... If there's a meteor heading towards Earth, five billion people are praying to their God and a few hundred scientists to get Bruce Willis up there. <laughs> so... And, and you talk about the impact, I think, again, this is true of both of you, the impact on people's lives, that if you say people on afterlife, that has a resonance with people. Well, I think people want to see things that they haven't seen before. And I think this is what happens with marketing and people who are worried. I think everyone sets out with these good intentions. I'm going to do an uncompromised thing about something that's going to say things that's never been said before. And then soon someone says, if you take out a couple of the swear words, we can put it on at nine o'clock. If you change that to so-and-so, um, we might... And then soon they've... 
It's, it's watered down and it's, uh, you know... Uh, um, uh, I remember once, I was at uh, one of my first things at Channel 4, uh, 11 o'clock show, um, and I did a sketch. It was about... Um, there was a thing about um, people who claimed benefit when they didn't need it, and I played this sort of, um, uh, sort of bigoted, crazy right-wing journalist who, who would always come down on the wrong side, right? And, uh, and he was saying, my character was saying, um, what you should do is, right, if, if someone, you know, um, uh, claims their death, set off a fire alarm and see if they run out of the building. Right, so it was all that sort of stuff. Channel 4 said, can you change that to the blind because the deaf are very militant. <laughs> <laughs> so their moral judgment was how many letters they'd have to write. Also, it doesn't work if he's blind because he can hear the fucking bell. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why they care about getting letters, actually. I've often wondered that. Because that, hey, people think that one... one comp- now is worse. Worse now. Now people are terrified of one complaint, and now, you know, yeah. the how to rants, particularly the BBC, you know. Um, I, I've, I've um, uh, you know, talked people down, um, like executives, by saying, I'll write the letters. Sometimes they want to know... I've explained the joke, why it's OK, and they go, OK, never a complaint. I've never had... If I've had a complaint, it's never been upheld. You know, because if you can, if, if you're clever enough, you can, it's not just putting stuff out there and trying to offend everyone. It's, you know, you, you, you can explain it. Some people just want to be heard. I, I, I work, in my normal job, people would complain. I'd call them back and they go, oh, didn't think you'd call back. They were already happy mm. that you'd called them back. Some people want to be heard because they're never heard. And then people are scared of a complaint these days. And uh, there's no reason for it. But with, with Afterlife, how does it feel to, to get that feedback from people that... It's much more emotional. People saying, that, that touched me, that has resonance. It's great. It's really good. I feel very proud of that because um, um, it's just... A, I suppose it's just another little layer to it. Um, and, uh, and I'd certainly rather that than... I hated it. I was offended. You know, I don't, I don't want people to hate things I do and be offended. I, I want them to enjoy it, you know. I'm a comedian. I'm not a politician or, a, you know, a religious leader. Or a, I, I put stuff out there because I think they'll enjoy it. And, um, and pay me. <laughs> and, Richard, obviously your, your books have had enormous influence on, on people's lives. How does that feel? Well, um, I do very much appreciate getting letters from people who say, you've changed my life, and I get a, a fair number of those. Um, I get an enormous number who say that my books on evolution decided them to go into science at school, and, and, and only this week I was seeing a doctor, and he, and an Australian doctor in the hospital, and he said, um, the end, I want to thank you, the selfish gene was what made me take up biology and hence made me become a doctor. I love that. I mean, that, that's Great. really a wonderful, wonderful... Um, and, and perhaps more, perhaps more relevant to this meeting, um, the God delusion, enormous numbers of letters from people who say, you saved me from my religious upbringing. You... you, you you articulated something that I, that I felt myself but could never quite find the words to, to, to say myself. I am no longer a... Re- I'm freed from the shackles of religion. Mm. 
And, and that I, I find, it, again, hugely gratifying. There are many who say... There are many who write in great distress because they have lost their faith and are unable to break the news to their parents or their spouse. And um, particularly poignant are the um, clergy people. Who we, we've got a project in, in America called the Clergy Project, which is designed to help clergy people, clergymen and clergywomen, who become atheists and can't escape because it's the only living they know. And um, so that's poignant. When, they, when they're, they're stuck, they, they, they can only earn their living by, by going on preaching sermons and, and things like that. So, so the, the, the clergy project uh, does that. Um, and I like to, to think that maybe I, I help them as, as well, people who, who need to escape uh, and find it very difficult to do so. I think that's... I, I... I think that's really important, and it comes back to the point we made earlier about um, uh, ideas not having human rights, because I think people think when we criticise religion, we're criticising people who are religious, which is, couldn't be further from the truth, because we think they're victims too. Mm. Absolutely. You I know. mean, the, the word Islamophobia is all about that. It's a, yeah. it, people think that if you criticise Islam, you're criticising Muslims. Quite the contrary, they're the primary victims of Islam. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are we're almost out of time, uh, but just before we, we finish up here, just to turn our attention to the, the future, you have amazing pieces of work uh, that you, you've carried out. What, what direction do you see yourself going in the future? Downhill. <laughs> just, just Seriously, downhill. it's just... Just awful, <laughs> awful. Yeah, I've got a bad back, I wake up, I just, I ache, my knees have gone. I don't know, it's, what's the point, really? I just... I want to be... When, when have we got the head in a jar? That's, when I, that's where I'm on a skateboard. Me in a jar, on a, on a hoverboard, whizzing round, 200 years old. Right, um, uh, I want to do more Afterlife. I'm, I'm starting filming next week, actually, Afterlife 2. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm uh, going to do a uh, follow-up to Humanity next year with um, Supernature. Um, uh, so, uh, and then, um, I don't know, uh, just get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for your... Uh, uh, sharing insights not only about atheism but about your, your work and the, the, the fan of the, being a crocker duck and um, before I, I thank uh, my two guests properly uh, there's some other thanks to be done uh, which is uh, Simon who is uh, in charge of the, this wonderful venue the Troxy here has, uh, has given us uh, the uh, help to get, uh, the venue um, I don't know just say that I've knocked over a glass of water. I haven't actually wet myself on stage. I just uh, make that absolutely clear. It's under your chair. Oh, OK. Um, a, a real rock and roll death <laughs> as you electrocute yourself with your little <laughs> head mic. Yeah. Um, uh, Deborah Hyde and Chris French from The Skeptic, who have organised uh, the, uh, the event uh, this evening.
and the uh, Centre for Inquiry and, of course, the Richard Dawkins Foundation, uh, again, for helping to organise and uh, sort out the event. But uh, most of all, my two wonderful guests. It felt like a, a very special uh, evening, I think uh, you'll agree. And congratulations on the awards. Thank you. Lovely, uh, thank you very, very much. Well. Uh, does... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so we... it's Richard Dawkins, for fuck's sake. Yes, what do you mean? <laughs> Richard will be signing books uh, afterwards, uh, but I think you'll agree uh, a fantastic and unique evening. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a huge round of applause for two wonderful guests, two amazing people. Richard Dawkins, Ricky Gervais! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Richard Dawkins, Ricky Gervais! Thank you. hope you enjoyed this episode of The Poetry of Reality. You might consider subscribing on thepoetryofreality.com. That way you get the content without the ads. Anyway, thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>